Today, we continue to uncover the historical and the cultural context leading up to the Sermon on the Mount. This is Michael Stevens. This is the Frequency Podcast. One thing to remember as we go through the text, as we go through the Bible from a cultural perspective, is not to limit what the text says to the people then to what it's saying to us now. I think a lot of people get hung up on literal translations sometimes and think, well, that's what they heard it then. That's the only thing that it means. However, even the rabbis taught that Torah has 70 faces. That's a, a quote from the Talmud. They described each word of Torah, each word of God as a multifaceted diamond. And just like you could hold a diamond up to a candle and see endless refractions of light, you could hold each word of Torah, each word of God up to the glory of God and see endless revelation in God's words. Now, before we start getting into verse by verse to the Sermon on the Mount, there are still a couple more things we need to look at before continuing on through the Sermon on the Mount to have a clear understanding and really experience the same level of expectation that the people had that were listening to Jesus. And so I want to go back to John the Baptist. So first, I think everyone has probably heard of John the Baptist, the guy who ate funny things and wore funny clothes. But the reality is, is that John had been ministering and had been preparing the way and had already been pointing to people to Jesus as the Messiah. And John's impact and and reputation was so strong that many actually wondered if John was the Messiah. They, in fact, Jewish leadership, um, as was their custom, had already sent out a group to investigate John and report back to the Sanhedrin their findings. You can see that in John 124, as well as a couple other places. See, John's ministry was so powerful that Jews and even Gentiles were walking miles and miles to hear him speak and to be baptized him, which is a subject for another day as well. But it wasn't just what John was saying. It was actually where he was saying it that spoke to the people. So as we're going to see later in, in, in more passages, in the Jewish culture, it's it's much more powerful to let the text say something for you rather than to simply say it yourself. Um, in the coming episodes, we're going to see a lot of examples of things called illusions or uh, keshers. Some people call them remises. Um, I'll give you an example. So let me give a little background here first. So the, the, the culture, particularly in Galilee, they were extremely, extremely devoted to the text. Uh, it was normal by the, by the age of 10 for most children, if not to have the entire Torah memorized. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, have the entire thing memorized, to have an, an extremely large portions of it memorized. And as they got older, to have even more and more and more of the text memorized. And, and the, the experts, the teachers, the rabbis, the students of of the the the, the Tanakh, the the Torah, the Nevi'im, Ketuvim, again, our Old Testament, it was normal for them to have the entire thing memorized, almost to completion. Uh, so what they would do is when they would what they would talk about the text is they would they wouldn't actually reference the verse they were talking about. They would reference a verse before it or after it, and because the other person had it memorized, they would kind of mentally fill in the blank. Uh, I'll give you an example. In modern day, if I said, "Twas the night before Christmas," immediately in your mind you thought. And all through the house. I said, not a creature is stirring. Immediately you said, not even a mouse. Now, John's ministry itself was an allusion to the ministry and to the prophetic word being fulfilled. They they kept asking him, like, are you the Messiah? And he kept saying things like, I'm the one crying out in the wilderness. But And, and they knew that that was a, a, a reference to the forerunner to the Messiah. And it was prophesied that Elijah would return and, and pre-run the Messiah. But What's more important than what John said is actually what 
John did. You see, most of us just read that John was baptizing, but the reality is, is the text says that John was baptizing in three different places. And each of those places that John was baptizing were actually places where Elijah um, did or experienced miracles. So the first place that John was baptizing, you can actually link directly back to 1 Kings 17, 2 through 6. It's where God sent ravens to bring Elijah food. The next place is in 2 Kings 1, 1 through 28. It's where Elijah called down fire um, upon the king's men. And then in 2 Kings 2, 1 through 25 is actually where Elijah was taken up into the whirlwind. And if you go to Luke 3, Matthew 3, and Mark 1, you'll actually see that uh, John was baptizing at all three of these different places, letting the text speak for him. So not only was John proclaiming Jesus as the coming one, um, but after Jesus came out of the wilderness, his ministry uh, began as soon as John was arrested. And by the time we get to Matthew 5, 1 through 11, Jesus's fame had spread like wildfire. So not only had John been pointing everybody that was loved John, they, they believed in John. They saw John as a prophet and they believed John's word. Not only were they looking to Jesus, but now Jesus's ministry had been amplified. He had been teaching in synagogues all across the Galilee region, not just in Nazareth. It says he had been healing diseases, sickness, pains, casting out demons, healing epileptics and, and paralytics. And between the way that uh, Jesus taught and the miracles he performed, the expectation that he was the Messiah was escalating rapidly, if not already solidified in the hearts of lots and lots and lots of people. And so as, as we wrap up today, we're going to read from Matthew 5, 1, and this is what it says. It says that, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, this term disciples here doesn't reference the four that Jesus had already called Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Uh, it references all the people that were following him. And we're going to get into later on how how rabbis chose their disciples, or as they call them, Talmudim. Uh, but what I want to point out here is that while rabbis had walking conversations, and while they had normal relationship with their disciples, anytime you see them sit down, it, it's a... It's a statement to everyone following them that there is about to be a focused teaching. And so we, G we see Jesus sit down here and everyone understood that he had something important that he wanted them to hear and he wanted them to respond to. A little wink, wink towards Mary and Martha later as we see them where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus because Jesus is sitting down to teach them. That's why Jesus doesn't necessarily reprimand Martha, but he says that Mary has chosen the good thing. In other words, she was paying attention that Jesus sat down to teach something and there was something to listen to. So that wraps it up today. Thanks for listening. This is Michael Stevens. This is the Frequency Podcast. Yeah.